0: Life Radio. This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Good day from California and welcome to the Anything Possible podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Courtney, veterinary surgeon and just all around animal lover. Here we get to celebrate the fact that everywhere you look, there is the beauty of the human animal bond. And that bond influences our everyday lives and lucky for me i get to talk to some of the most fascinating and engaging people that help to explore and strengthen that bond but before we get to our guest if you have many questions thoughts or topic discussions you can reach me at dr courtney bbm on socials questions with positivity and love will get answered with priority but not with exclusivity so i'll pretty much answer anything today we have a true veterinary heavyweight on board i am super super pumped We're going to start a little bit of a series, which I like to call Unlikely Teammates. Today, we are going to talk about the multidisciplinary approach between handling a case between the toxicology team and the surgery team. And when it comes to toxicology, there's no one else I would rather speak with than Dr. Justine Lee. She is a board-certified critical care specialist and a toxicologist, and she is the host of ER Vet Podcast on Pet Life Radio. And right after this quick break, we're going to be joined by the guest, Dr. Justine Lee. I'm super excited about it.
1: Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check, a nationwide pet insurance alternative. With Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pets' health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EasyPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
0: And we're back. Yes, I'm super pumped today because we are fusing surgery and toxicology. This might be one of the first times in podcast history. I am joined right now by board certified critical care specialist and toxicologist, Dr. Justine Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I am so honored to be on your show and absolutely love talking to you. We need to do this more often.
0: Oh, my goodness. This is exactly what I have been dying and wanting to do for so long. This is definitely on my bucket list. So I really appreciate you doing this.
1: Of course. So I have a couple of questions. First of all, you know, most people wouldn't think surgery and toxicology go together, right?
0: They don't. And this is like, you know, you think I'm... Listen, you think I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's very possible you and I are making history right now, <laughs> is that we are, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, I love the idea of a multidisciplinary approach. And let's be clear about something. Typically, the meat and potatoes, the hammer and screwdriver of treatment care is medicine and surgery, right? But when you start to think about the fact that veterinarians from all disciplines and from all talent levels can work together on a common case to for the best treatment of that pet. Or that that best treatment of that animal. I love that idea. And so I love that concept and that that vision. And so what I love the fact is that you're a specialist in toxicology. I'm, you know, a specialist in surgery. I'd love to i love to just talk about what things can surgery help with when it comes to certain toxins, right? Because we know, you know, that old adage, the solution to pollution is dilution, right? Okay? So we're going to dilute it, but is there any role for any toxin for surgeons or should surgeons just stay out of your way, Dr. Lee? I mean, what's your opinion?
1: (laughs) Nonsense. Nonsense. I absolutely love working with our specialists, but you're right. Most of the time, at least in human medicine, when you see someone who's a specialist in toxicology, they're usually also a specialist in emergency. And that's because whenever we see poisoning cases, they have to come through the ER or through your vet right away because they're urgent. The sooner we treat it, the sooner we diagnose whether or not it's poisonous, the less harm it's going to cause your dog or cat and the less expensive it's going to be for you. So most of the time, we're treating this in the emergency room. And I always tell people, please do not induce vomiting without talking to your veterinarian, your emergency veterinarian, or the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, because sometimes you can actually cause more harm by inducing vomiting. But I would say decontamination is still the mainstay therapy for treating the poison dog or cat. Now, before we get into it too much, I Didn't want to forget about our feline friends. For all you cat owners out there, please be aware if your cat eats something poisonous, there is nothing, nothing, nothing you can do at home. Please do not induce vomiting at home. I know on some erroneous websites it says you can use hydrogen peroxide. We do not do that. About 25% of cats can get severe signs from it like vomiting blood I've actually had a handful of cats die from it so you just need to get to the vet right away but dr Courtney you're right there's a couple of poisons that we see that need to be surgically corrected or potentially surgically corrected so first I was wondering if you could talk to me about gorilla glue what the heck is gorilla glue
0: oh man yes you know when you mentioned detox is uh is the treatment of choice and I said you know it's so interesting I just didn't want any pet parent or anybody to be alarmed or find it curious if your toxicologist or your critical care specialist is calling a surgeon to help out with the process. And one first up to bat is a Gorilla Glue. Unfortunately, Gorilla Glue has been thrust into the limelight, into the news recently. Uh, if anybody has been following the news, they've heard of the unfortunate case of Tessica Brown, who allegedly, instead of grabbing regular hairspray to help spray solidify or to hold a certain hairstyle she reached for gorilla glue spray instead and she had formed a complete helmet On her head, that was immovable. And uh, fortunately, on these socials on TikTok, a lot of people started to reach out to her and sort of crowdsource ideas on how they can help us. Now, to be clear, there was some ridicule, which is unfair, but there were a lot of people that helped out. Fortunately, the story has a very happy ending. A surgeon donated his time, used some solvents, and removed the gorilla glue from her hair. But the reality is, it started the wheels, started my wheels thinking, okay, toxin, gorilla glue. And when it comes to dogs and cats, is the glue toxic? And what have I dealt with in terms of my personal experience with Gorilla Glue? And I tell you what, Dr. Lee, it is uh, when you see a Gorilla Glue ingestion from a surgical perspective, it gives you a whole new perspective on how powerful this glue can be.
1: It is scary. Most of the time your general glue is not going to be an issue. So if you have like regular Elmer's school glue for children, that is designed to keep kids in mind. Like kids are going to stick it in their mouth, not a big deal. But for those of you guys who are using wood glues, in other words, you're trying to glue two pieces of wood together. Traditional glue is not going to work. And so you're going to buy Gorilla Glue. And keep in mind, there's a couple of other brands out there, but Gorilla Glue is probably the most common brand that's out there for wood glue. The reason why we become concerned, and if you don't believe me, you are welcome to practice this science experiment at home. You just put a little bit of Gorilla Glue in a zipper plastic bag, like a Ziploc bag, put a little bit of water in there, and it's going to expand massively into this hard substance. Well, that's what's happening in your dog substance. If your dog chews into gorilla glue, it only takes a tiny amount before it rapidly expands into this huge, what we call foreign body. And so if a dog is licking small amounts on paper towels, or they chew into the bottle themselves, you have to be really careful. Please do not induce emesis or what we call vomiting because this expands so quickly. Unfortunately, most of the time it needs to be surgically removed. So. Dr. Courtney, once we diagnose this and we take x-rays and we see that there's this big gorilla glue foreign body in the stomach, what do you do surgically and how long does a dog have to be hospitalized? Like, do they go home that night? Do they stay for several days? What happens?
0: Well, thank you so much for mentioning radiographs, because when you take x-rays, a lot of people don't think about that associated with toxins. You know, some of these liquid poisons that are hanging around. A lot of people just wouldn't expect that you could see that I'm on, on an x-ray. But you're right. Gorilla Glue is hydroscopic, meaning it will literally absorb all the water in the system uh, in your dog's stomach and it will form a cast. Now, if anybody's ever made a mold of something, where I've seen on socials on the internet where two people are holding hands, they'll pour a mold type solution in there to make a mold of their hands and it's a cast. It shows you the detail. That's exactly what you'll see on, on surgically where you will see this massive wad, this ridiculously hard mass inside the stomach almost the size of a basketball in some cases and it has made a complete cast of the stomach and you unfortunately surgically you have to find an area in the stomach that doesn't have a whole bunch of blood supply. So uh, a non-vascular region of the stomach, go ahead and enter the stomach and peel this cast off of the lining of the stomach. And I believe that, you know... I believe I even posted a video of this really early on social. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can certainly jump to at Dr. Courtney DVM to see a video of this, but you have to peel that mass off of the stomach lining. And unfortunately, there is a thermal component to this as well. So as it's undergoing a reaction, it can get very hot and cause thermal injury to the lining of the stomach at the very worst. Will have to remove part of the stomach so again this is one of those toxins in which when it comes to detoxification certainly not fluids and uh, charcoal or inducing vomiting that is not the idea here the idea is going to be call a surgeon
1: more importantly with any pet poisoning i'm going to tell you my three tips When it comes to poisoning, especially if you have a chow hound, like a Labrador retriever who loves to get into stuff, or a puppy, crate training is my number one thing. People view crate training as... You know, they view it as torture. They think they're putting their dog in prison. If you appropriately crate train a dog, they actually purposely seek it out as a den, just like a wolf. So that's the first thing. You want to crate train them as a puppy. The second thing is if you get a new puppy or a new cat or a new kitten, get on your knees and walk around the house and you're going to see a whole level of different poisons or toxins around the house. So make sure you pet proof. That may include putting a garbage can in a pantry closet or making sure it has a tight lid on it. The third thing I want you to do is make sure that if you have those weekly pill holders, that you keep those out of reach or store your medications, your human medications in a totally different area from your pet's medications. I've seen way too many accidental ingestions when a pet owner gives their human medication to their dog or cat and they accidentally take their pet's medication because it becomes habit. My last tip is if you have people visiting you and they're flying in, they have a Ziploc bag of other vitamins, they throw it in their suitcase. Well, those have a weird smell. So make sure they are aware they need to keep all things out of reach. When in doubt, you always want to talk to your vet. You always want to consult with the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. But remember, prevention, prevention, prevention. Now, Dr. Courtney, the second type of poison I wanted to talk to you about, batteries. Tell me about batteries.
0: Well, uh, listen, Dr. Lee, have you ever taken a battery and touched it to your tongue, like a 9-volt battery?
1: No, that sounds like a total guy thing to do.
0: <laughs> yes, you, it, totally. It, well, listen, you will feel a tingly sensation and that's because the electrical current is being transferred between the two poles on the on the battery and you can feel that tingly sensation. Well, certainly dogs and may, some cats can get particularly curious when it comes to um, batteries and wanting to feel out the texture of the battery. They'll put them in their mouth, they'll chew on them and batteries do do a, a acidity or alkalinity, it can be extremely caustic and it can irritate the lining of the esophagus as well as the small intestine. And this is why this is, I think this is a really important component to talk about some anatomical differences. Particularly between dogs and humans, humans typically have a very narrow esophagus. So, whatever they ingest, it will typically go through their small intestine. Dogs, on the other hand, have an extremely wide esophagus, particularly an area in the esophagus right at the end called the lower esophageal sphincter, where it's extremely wide. That means things that they'll be able to eat and get in their stomach, it again starts to narrow after you get past the stomach into the small intestine. In fact, the most common site for intestinal obstructions is the small intestine. And so if the battery makes it through the small intestine, it will get to the end of the small intestine, an area called the ileocecal junction, where batteries can also cause major, major issues in terms of small intestinal necrosis or death. And it can cause major mucosal injury with the battery sitting against the stomach. Have you seen instances of battery ingestion and toxins in just in cases in in your career?
1: I have. And I'm going to tell people... The most common source that darn remote control. And let's admit it, during COVID, we're watching way more TV. Our remote controls just thrown on the corner of the sofa, or on the coffee table, and in the back there's usually two AA batteries. And there's all different types of batteries out there. There's alkaline, there's acidic, there's lithium, there's disc-shaped batteries. They are all deadly and dangerous. Now, some are corrosive, like the alkaline and the acidic ones, and those are the ones in your remote remote. remote control. I will say the lithium ones can be deadly. A lot of children's toys, there's actually a big movement by pediatricians and parents to get rid of lithium toys because those actually can kill kids. It can corrode through the esophagus. It is a terrible, terrible poisoning. Same exact thing with dogs and cats. Now, cats, they are... Uh, not the type that are going to chew, unlike dogs. So dogs are usually the ones getting into batteries, but I have seen the intestines rupture and feces is leaking out into the belly of a dog because they ate a double A battery. Now, keep in mind, these batteries are dangerous when they're punctured. If your dog, for some reason, eats the battery and never punctured it, they never bit into it, it's not going to cause an issue. But nobody knows if it's punctured or not. So we have to treat every single battery ingestion as a poisoning. Again, I have definitely seen them corrode through. So the frustrating thing is most of the time my recommendation is you need to go to Dr. Courtney Campbell and go get surgery to remove the battery. The good thing is all batteries are metallic, so we can always see them on x-ray. The bad news is it may cost $1,500 for endoscopy to remove it out of the stomach or even more, several thousand for surgery. And I always say that can be cost prohibitive. So when in doubt, if it's corrosive going down, it's corrosive coming back up, which means I do not want you to induce vomiting. You have to get your vet. Now, have you seen any bad cases and, you know, what do you do with battery ingestions?
0: Well, that's a great, that's a great point. I like the fact that you brought up endoscopy because a lot of people may be thinking, well, shoot, you know... Here's a surgeon always talking about surgery. That's always what they want to do. Isn't there a minimally invasive approach or isn't there a less invasive approach to remove the battery? Well, just like you said, Dr. Lee, if you've chewed on this battery, if there's goo leaking out, then you certainly don't want to drag all of that goo endoscopically as you put a camera into the stomach and then drag it through the esophagus to cause more irritation and mucosal injury. And so in those situations, certainly a chewed or destroyed battery uh, with goo leaking out, causing mucosal injury, certainly you want to remove those batteries. And I certainly have seen that. I think the most severe case is where those disc batteries that you had mentioned, where those disc batteries had created prolonged contact times with the inside of the intestine and has caused mucosal necrosis or death. It basically caused a circle of dead tissue inside the intestine, where you're right, it results in septic peritonitis, which untreated has an extremely high mortality rate. And uh, like you said, prolonged hospital times, unfortunately, extremely expensive and pain and suffering. So, puppy proof, dog proof, your home. I love the r- remote control. And for those uh, who are really into t- like a little bit of uh, tech geeks like my brother, they've got batteries everywhere. I mean, they've got little gadgets and things like that. So, it goes certainly beyond the remote control. But certainly, with everybody's Netflix and platforms they're watching there's a remote control probably within arm's reach so excellent points on those but certainly a destroyed or chewed battery is something that surgically needs to get out staff. dr lee do you mind if we pause really quick and pay some bills and we'll reconvene on the other side you bet all right fantastic anything possible we're just going to pause for a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue our conversation with dr lee
1: Take a bite out of your competition.
0: And we're back. We've been having a riveting conversation about diffusion and the team approach towards toxicology and surgery. We have covered a lot of ground so far. We've talked about Gorilla Glue, battery ingestion, and we're going to keep on going right now. Uh, Dr. Lee, again, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an awesome conversation. I really want to talk to you about next up to bat. And that is going to be, we're headed into the spring. A lot of people are starting to improve their gardens. I want to talk to you about plants, but not just any plant. I want to talk to you about a specific part of the plant, which has the potential to be the most toxic. And that's because when it comes to toxins, I think you'd agree with me dose matters, size matters. So I want to talk to you about bulbs. In your career, have you seen bulb ingestion and what signs and what clinical signs have you seen in regards to that? And just so I'm clear, when I'm talking about bulbs, what I'm referring to are any plants that have like underground stems surrounded by those like scales or those modified leaves, those hold nutrients. But that's the bulbs I'm referring to, not tubers like potatoes or sweet potatoes or anything like that. But Dr. Lee, yes, please tell us what's been your experience with bulbs.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm an avid gardener, and I will say I love to plant spring bulbs. I'm also based out of Minnesota, so I get really excited in May. <laughs> yes, in other country, in other areas, it's probably you know March, but in May we'll just start to see you know daffodils uh, starting to to bloom now. Most of the time, this isn't going to be a big deal. In fact, the plants, the green, the flower, the part above the ground is not a big deal if your dog or cat chews into it. So I'm talking hyacinths. I'm talking about narcissus. I'm talking about tulips or daffodils. So beautiful but it's those darn Labrador Retrievers who we love and adore. Again, they're one of the top 10 most popular dogs in the United States, but they are chow hounds. They are bred to eat. And they're the only type of dog that I've ever seen who will see a bag of spring bulbs, which look like, you know, they look like basically a little onion, right? They've got that onion skin, orange color. Yes. They're designed to be planted. And of course, they'll eat 20 to 30 bulbs at a time. <laughs> now, most of the time, these aren't poisonous, but the poison is more concentrated in the onion skin layer. So most of the time I'm going to see vomiting and diarrhea. But those Labradors, when they eat 20 to 40 bulbs at a time, that can actually result in a foreign body obstruction. And those are big enough. They're about two inches in size. If your Labrador didn't chew them, they can actually get stuck in the stomach. So again, require a very similar surgery to getting that gorilla glue out. Now, not super, super common. Most dogs will just eat a couple, but that is one of the things that we worry about. The bigger danger I worry about, and I don't know if you've had to quote, cut any of them is unbaked bread dough.
0: Have you seen any of those cases? Oh, you know, I actually have seen that, but I haven't, I've only seen it once in my career. And the main reason for that, I think is number one, you know, a lot of the breads that people are using don't have a whole lot of yeast in them. But certainly during quarantine, bread making became all the rage. It was trending online and particularly sourdough. Now, fortunately, sourdough has wild yeast in it, it doesn't have added yeast to it. But if you, well, I'm not talking about the little biscuits that you buy in the store for uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm talking about any dough that you leave on the counter. When you come back, it's twice the size. That's a major, major concern. And what I, we're concerned about is that, like you said, any dog who is prone to be mischievous, who likes to knock things off the counter, uh, particularly Labradors, or any dog who just is sort of programmed, they're hardwired to investigate things through their mouth and they want to eat them. The main concern, of course, course that we have is not only the fact that the dough is rising and it can cause a foreign body obstruction, but also the products that it makes, both CO2 and ethanol. I mean, Dr. Lee, what is your concern, particularly when not only are you dealing with dough that is rising, causing a foreign body obstruction, but also the dog is essentially getting drunk off the ethanol?
1: Yeah. So, you know, most of the time I see this during the holidays when people are baking, they're, you know, rising bread uh, for Christmas or the holidays or Easter. But you're right, because of COVID, people are definitely baking more. And there was a huge yeast shortage. So when you notice anything with yeast or you notice anything that has to rise, you have to put it in a safe place. And I always say when in doubt, put it in the microwave, like don't turn the microwave on, but your dog or cat can't get into it. Just make sure you realize that it's there. And the reason why is because a dog's stomach acts as an artificial oven. It's warm, it's moist. It's going to make that yeast metabolize again into ethanol or alcohol, and it's going to digest those sugars and produce CO2 or carbon dioxide. So not only can your dog become drunk from the alcohol, but they can have a life-threateningly low blood sugar from that alcohol. And especially if they're a deep-chested dog, they can actually develop a stomach bloat from it. Now, as a toxicologist, most of the time I'm trying to medically manage these. In other words, I need to fix that low blood sugar. I need to fix the clinical signs. And I'm actually going to try to pass a stomach tube under anesthesia to get all that sticky unbaked bread dough out. I once in a while will have to take these guys to surgery. And you guys will be really glad to know that I don't touch any kind of scalpels. I don't do surgery. I always (laughs) have the surgeon do it. So (laughs) Dr. Courtney would be cutting these guys. But the main reason why is because we have to get this product out. So most of the time we try to quote, pump the stomach. Um, but once in a while, I'm going to need your help. Dr. Campbell on this one.
0: Well, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of your three keys to success. Number one, for me, it's prevention all the way, but if your dog does need surgery and to show the true sort of family approach to this toxicology and surgery, I'm certainly going to borrow one of your keys. Number one, prevention, crate training. I completely agree that way you and I will never have to meet a pet parent for this situation. Number two, proof your home dog, proof your home, put your your dough or in case batteries or Gorilla Glue in a safe place so that your dog doesn't get to them. And number three, if your dog does need surgery, certainly reserve those times for bland diets, home cooked diets, or more savory diets for these times when you have to administer medications. If you're always giving your dog little morsels of uh, savory foods or bland diets or people food, then when it comes time for medications for my dog just had surgery, he's not really interested in eating, I'm trying to encourage, him to take these medications, that's where these can become very useful. So I would just say, and then, oh, finally, one last one is something I like to call the two, three rule. If you're, if you're not sure, should I bring my dog to a veterinarian for a toxin? If there's a history of toxin ingestion, absolutely. Without question, call immediately the ASPCA or toxicology hotline and talk to Dr. Lee. But if you're unsure, then sometimes you can use something I call the two, three rule. If your dog vomited twice in one hour or three times total for the day, definitely call. And that way you're not ignoring something, but you're also, you're not ignoring something serious, but then you're also not, you know, you're not necessarily exaggerating something that is a very minor issue. And so certainly two, three rule. But again, let me repeat, if there is history or if you suspect toxin ingestion, do not wait on the two, three rule, call Dr. Lee immediately regardless of where you are in the United States. Uh, just no, I'm kidding, but call your, local, call your local emergency clinic and get your dog treated immediately.
1: Fantastic advice. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon.
0: Oh man, this has been awesome. I'm so glad, like I said, this is something I've been looking forward to all week long. So thanks so much, Dr. Lee. That was absolutely riveting. Like I said, listen, that was Dr. Lee. She's, like I said, if there was somebody I want to talk to about toxicology, she is the one. And uh, as you can see, she is a wealth of knowledge. Please check out our podcast, ER Vet. Absolutely very salient content, incisive and fun, presented in a fun way. So I hope we had a lot of fun today. And don't forget, continue to check out other episodes. You can certainly tune into me at, at Dr. Courtney DBM on socials and also check out Pet Life Radio. Don't forget, there's nothing stronger than the human animal bond.